God bless the city of Rock Hill. Rock Hill is such a special place. They're going to know Rock Hill for more than Football City USA. Pathways, Indoor Center, Knowledge Park. It's just a wonderful time to be in Rock Hill right now. The city of Rock Hill is one of the only destinations that fully gets it. It builds world-class venues that are better than anywhere in the United States. Hello and welcome to CityCast, where we aim to keep you updated on all things City of Rock Hill. I am Ashley Studebaker, alongside my co-host here, Matthew Cray. And today we have Deputy City Manager Jimmy Bagley here with us. Thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Glad to be here. Yes, absolutely. Before we dive into our topic today of severe weather preparedness, um, Jimmy, we want to get to know you a little bit more. Kind of the fun side, but also a little bit more of a normal side. So we have some speed questions to ask you, um, just to get to know you a little bit more. So we have 60 seconds. Matthew's going to time us, and then um, we'll get started. Ready? At no cost to you, what would your dream vacation be? Travel Europe. Travel Europe. Name an embarrassing thing you did as a child. Got a truck stuck on the railroad track. (laughs) When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? A missionary. If you could keep one monthly subscription of any kind, what would you choose? Not utilities or internet. Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) What is something you like that most people hate? Cheerleading. How did you meet your wife? Church. And what was your major in school? Electrical engineering. Did you do you play an instrument? No, I did not. What would we catch you doing in your free time? Working. <laughs> do you have any free time? I guess is the follow up there. Not much. Last movie or TV show that you saw? Manifest. Are you a roller coaster guy? Yes. Ah. Have you ever been told you look like a famous person? Never. <laughs> no. All right, that's our time. Nice. I know sometimes people, uh, like my dad looks just like Hugh Laurie. So we would go to camps and all the kids would be like, you look like Dr. House. And so I didn't know maybe if you had a doppelganger we weren't aware of. That's funny. No, I was called Doogie <laughs> Hauser back in the day. But that's because I was young when I came here. Right. right. So to take a little bit uh, of a turn here on a more normal side of things, can you tell us a little bit more of just your journey here, not just with the city, but um, kind of how you got in the position that you, you are today? Yeah, well, I, I came here 11 days before Hurricane Hugo. September the 11th, Hugo hit the 22nd back in 1989. Came straight from Clemson, so I've been here going on, working on my 33rd year, I guess, uh, getting close to it. And really started out in the electric department, uh, again, working with Hugo. Uh, after being here two or three days, I'd asked the director if I could go out with the crews. And he said, well, that was unusual. Most of the college kids, <laughs> you know, didn't want to go to the field, but I really wanted to see how they did things and learn a little bit about the practical aspects of it. So I did that for about a week, and then Hugo hit. So I spent about a month with the crews cleaning up Hugo and after that he said you got to come inside we got too much in-house stuff to, for you to ride around on the trucks all day and have fun I'm like, oh, that wasn't exactly fun I wasn't expecting Hugo but that's kind of how I started and then slowly over time I learned a little bit about the water and sewer aspects of things started helping uh, the public works when we first started stormwater division they were really struggling with how to get right away didn't know how to you know go about doing things that we had done in the utility side so I started helping uh, them out and over time ended up taking responsibilities for utilities and public works Uh, For a short time, I became the city's first CIO. I went to UNC and picked up certification as an IT guy. So I uh, had this office and uh, really pulled a bunch of the unique key staff from all over the city and created a a, a larger IT department. We had four or five that managed the big mainframe, but then we pulled everybody together to do the desktop application. So I kind of started all that. We lost our utility director, and they said, hey, 
we really need to figure out what we're going to do. Do you want to be a utility director? Do you want to be an IT guy? And I, I was like, I don't know. I like to do both. You know, I really had a, a knack for technology. But it seemed to be easier to find somebody that could do the IT as opposed to somebody that knows electric, water, and sewer. So I went back and did the uh, utility director stuff. And then almost 11 years ago, our city manager retired. David V. Hine was assistant, and he moved up. And the same day he moved up to the city manager, I moved up into the assistant. And here we are. Where did you grow up? I uh, grew up in Chester, a little okay. town south of here. I was born in Florida. Not many hmm. people know that. Uh, I coached varsity cheerleading for 15 years. Okay. So a lot of folks don't know that. And uh, worked at a gym at night, taught tumbling classes, and retired from that about two years ago. It's got to be too much. And <laughs> I enjoyed it. That's why I've gotten some weight on me now. <laughs> but uh, I, I used to not carry around an extra 15 pounds. But not, not doing that every night kind of made a difference. You have quite the resume. Yeah, I can see so why the, you, the free time is yeah. kind of minuscule there. <laughs> well, I know you wear many hats, and uh, one of those hats really pertains to severe weather when it comes to really the city, the state, and the region. Uh, what role do you play on each of those levels? Well, really, it, it all ties into, uh, I guess, the bigger picture. A number of years ago, probably 20, 25 years ago, there were a group of us at a conference that said, you know, we really ought to do a better job of helping each other out on the state level when things happen. Certainly in South Carolina, there's 21 electric cities. North Carolina, I think there's 72 now, used to be 71. Uh, and, you know, regionally we help each other, and we've always done that. If someone in the lower part of the state needed help, we would pull together crews and go down and help them out. But we really just didn't have a lot of, um, I guess, documented support for helping Georgia, Florida, whatever. So it just so happened I got to meet some of the folks from North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, uh, Florida, and uh, even into Virginia. So we decided we'd come up with something called the SPPDRG. Say that a little slower. <laughs> SPPDRG. It was a okay. Southeast Public Power Disaster Relief Group. And um, we, we talked the, the utility in Florida to really host a website for us, and there were five or six of us. And we decided we would help each other out. So we would list all of the assets that we had in terms of trucks and crews, as well as manpower, what type voltage we had on the system. So that was kind of the first part of it. And really, the, one or two of us have retired and new people have taken the role but the five of us have still been the core and we still help each other out anytime there's a disaster the national organization uh, called american public power they picked up on it probably 15 years ago and said wow we need to take what you guys are doing in the southeast and do it all across the country and make it more of a national uh, task force that if there are tornadoes out in the midwest or fires in california or major snow f- in texas snow in texas yeah <laughs> crazy stuff um how could we take what you guys have instituted and, and do that nationwide? And we've done that. And we've now picked up Guam, Puerto Rico, Canada. Wow. Uh, Look at Jimmy setting trends over here. I see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That. So uh, it, it's turned into a big group. And, and it's funny because now that they've put so much red tape behind it, now you've got all these documents. I'm the, I'm the state coordinator for South Carolina. So anytime there's a disaster, somebody needs South Carolina, they have to call me. Uh, I've got co-part, cohorts in North Carolina and Florida. And it's the same people that we always call. And it's funny, we, we go off script when something really happens to us because you get on these big national levels everybody wants to say well what's it like to have a hurricane like, we don't have time for that but we're trying to get power back on you know so you get folks that have never experienced it want to know all the details so we still text each other and call each other and it's funny sometimes a little too friendly because they'll say who's doing the rain dance to keep hurricane fred away or whatever um so it's going to be kind of a close-knit group but we try to get together at least once once or twice a year and just talk uh, in the southeast group but nationally we still do it uh, going national has also been a big help now that we participate in fema so uh, I've been on two phone calls where the president or his cabinet, they've had members on, where they talk about, hey, what's going on with these major disasters that uh, go on for weeks 
uh, and how can they help and assist? And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I've never, never talked to the president on the phone before, had any of his people follow up with me afterwards to say, hey, what, what's really going on in South Carolina? So that's been kind of cool. That's very interesting. Um, what types of groups, kind of basing off that, do you stay in contact with throughout the whole severe weather process? You know, we, we, we start texting each other as soon as things look like it's coming our way. Uh, again, Fred recently graced. I mean, all these, you know, we text, hey, it looks like Mexico's getting it. Uh, our buddy down in, in Florida will call her and say, you know, what are you doing? Is it gonna <laughs> Which get the, one is it this week? <laughs> is it right. going to get the panhandle and you're dealing with it in the Gulf, or is it going to be on the, uh, the, the Atlantic coast side? So we're always watching, and if they get a lot of rain, you know, eventually it comes up to our way, and, and we'll see if our friends in North Carolina. And it makes it really tricky because we want to go help other people, but I can't release all my crews until I know whether we're going to get hit. So, you know, Florida calls, I almost have to wait for it to hit and see if it's coming to me before I go down. So a lot of times you have to call people two or three states over to come your way because uh, we may be hit with it as well, and I don't want to be caught with all of our resources somewhere else but it's been interesting i also chair the catawba water rewater management group and they have similar things with high water flows you know flooding and you know what's coming down the catawba water river um so we have to listen to you know a lot of other agencies and a lot of it mixes and it's nice to have experience on both sides the water and the electric so we can say you know if it's a natural disaster how does a flood or tornado affect not only power but also flooding events or not having water at the water plant that sort of thing what kind of things do you have to take care of on the city side uh when severe weather comes our way you know just getting prepared uh making sure we have chainsaws and they're all working all the trucks are fueled up we do have on-site generation out at all of our facilities back when hugo hit uh, we didn't so uh we had one or two at the operations center very small one one at city hall but the problem with that is we couldn't run our garage couldn't get fuel out of the ground so uh you know the people that had planned before I, I got here, you know, they, they did, I'm sure, all that we thought we could do, needed to do. But when we had Hugo, we said, you know, we can't do anything. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, we can have an office here, but we have no fuel, no garage services. And we were just out. Fire department couldn't get out. They didn't have power. Police didn't have power for the jail. So uh, we since have put generators on all these facilities that we can run not only for load management, for emergencies. So we make sure all those things are running well. We make sure all the uh, people are ready to roll. Trucks are good to go. Uh, we go ahead and start planning who's got first shift, who's got second shift for the garage services or the warehouse needs, just to make sure that we've got everything covered here. We don't have a lot of snow plows, but you know, we do have some that we can put on the front of pickup trucks. So if it looks like that's a problem, we'll go ahead and do that. We have a partnership with the DOT. They just can't cover all the major streets. So they give us free uh, brine solution. So we'll stock up that and go ahead and start doing some of the major corridors toward the hospital, toward the major facilities, uh, just so we can get majority of traffic. Obviously, if it's that bad or predicted to be that bad we ask everybody to stay home but we know there's certain emergencies that you know still need fire trucks to run and still need ambulances to go out so we try to cover the major areas and make sure that those are as safely passable as possible so that's having um all city vehicles employees and everything prepared how do you make sure the public is not necessarily in crunch time but well prepared for the potential of severe weather well we work a lot with you guys uh making sure the media gets notice of everything um radio station matthews has done a great job in the past getting the word out tell people you know if it's a down power line don't touch it um, you don't know it's a power line or not and making sure people stock up and, you know one of the key things is um, anytime there's major weather coming that uh, could cause problems go ahead and stock up not just all the milk and bread i know the grocery stores run short of that but you know you <laughs> need to be able to be self-sufficient for three to five days and that means uh, all the pork and beans or whatever you want to stock <laughs> up on but have a, a, enough that you can do it and make sure you have a, a can opener that'll open those cans if the power is out or at least uh, the pop lids on some of them now because a lot of people will do that and not realize hey mm. 
I've got this food now, but I can't use it. Uh, <laughs> now what do we do? So, you know, just really being thoughtful. Uh, if you have gallons of water, that's great. But we've had people put them on the back porch and they freeze. Mm-hmm. And they go, wow, we didn't realize that. Now I've got to wait 12 hours to wow. dethaw my, my uh, ice. And you don't want to open the door too much because you may have heat off as well. So, you know, just, just thinking through all those types of scenarios, making sure you have your first aid kits, plenty of flashlights. Uh, try to stay inside. You know, we don't need to walk around down trees and lines just because we don't know what's out there yet. Uh, and, and for goodness sakes, you know, if your community wasn't hit, but the next door one was, don't get out on the road to go look because uh, then it blocks traffic for all of us trying to get the trees out of the road and everything. And, you know, it's amazing with Hugo, all the people from Chester, where I was living at the time, were coming to Rock Hill to see how bad it really was. Well, we couldn't get fire trucks out. We couldn't get roads cleared because of all the onlookers going, oh, wow, that looks bad. Well, yes, it does. But, you know, we really need you to be off the roads right now. So you bring up a good point that once severe weather comes through, there are often lingering effects, whether it is just a storm or it is hurricane season what are some of those lingering effects that can cause damage after the storm comes through well you know a lot of that is related um to to wind damage and rain damage that you know the storm is gone but over the next couple days tree limbs still continue to fall we still have rising uh creek waters and river waters that you think well gosh it hadn't rained in two days but all of a sudden all the rain that happened up above us uh, is flowing south now, and we start getting flooding rivers, and, and people are going, I don't know where all this water's coming from. Uh, we've literally had it three or four days later, and people say, I think there's a leak over here because all this water's coming out of the ground. No, we just had 12 inches of rain in five days, <laughs> and the water's saturated, so it's going just to seep out. Uh, it's not a leak. And I remember in the past we've talked about how when a storm comes, it seeps into the soil, or maybe it's the overflow from the river seeps into the soil, and then two or three days later a tree falls down, and that's the happens as well it does we you know you get a little bit of wind and the tree's already stressed it's wanting to push over and then uh the rains they they, they come and particularly after, after it's happened for two or three days of rain the ground's really loose and a lot of the trees have deep roots that go way out and some of the trees don't especially pine trees you know they have a tap rate that goes straight down and you get a little bit of wind and it'll pull up a lot of the ground with it and uh, especially after the soil's loose and so yeah you'll, you'll have aftermath for days weeks sometimes months where tree limbs will continue to still fall from a storm that happened a good while back you mentioned um surrounding areas if they're damaged not necessarily our area um but one of the ways to kind of um prevent traffic hold up and people not um going to see what's going on and all that stuff but if there is damage in different places of the state how do you coordinate help efforts in that area well one of the things that we do we, t- we try to pull all of our uh, municipal partners most of those are primary electric. Uh, we do have some special arrangements with a couple other sister cities throughout the state that if Cary, um, North Carolina, or um, some around the Charleston area have issues, they'll call and say, hey, not only do I need your electric workers, but we also might need some public works help. We also need tree trimmers. We also need some water plant operators, you know, because our plant's shut down and we really need some help. So we also have some mutual aid agreements in other areas. Fire department police are the same way. Well, we'll go aid uh, in different events if they, they call for it. But primarily, um, my assistance usually is coming from the electric side. So we'll go ahead and poll everybody ahead of time. Um, how's it looking in your area? Are you guys ready? Uh, we generally don't stage crews where we send crews in and just wait on a storm. We generally will send them after the storm hits. Uh, some utilities do that. And so if you start calling around looking for outside help like contractors, they may all be booked up. Duke sent them all to Florida. Well, if the interstate gets torn up, that might have been a great idea. If they get flooding in their area, they're hosed because they can't leave, and now they can't get to the next town because they're stuck in floodwaters and can't travel. So it's always a guessing game of, you know, how soon do you deploy crews? Where do you go when something like that happens? But we try to stay in good communication. Uh, We have some satellite phones. We have standing times where we'll say, 
if there is a major event, we lose all power, cell towers are down. Then at 12 o'clock, you know, everybody goes outside and tries to communicate with, with each other on the cell phone so that we can know how bad is it really and where do we need to go. Fortunately, we hadn't had an Armageddon quite that bad. Usually there's a cell tower somewhere that we can still get out or a landline maybe that's still hanging on. But um, you know, nowadays with technology, that's getting fewer and far between. But uh, we try to coordinate with them and just have a plan in place of uh, where it's coming inland, if it's coming in from the coast or up from Florida, that sort of thing and just uh, stay in communication. We usually have daily calls, if not uh, by to every, every every couple of hours sometimes, if it's really bad, and certainly we text. You know, Google Maps and Google uh, worksheets have been great, so we can put out there, hey, here's a spreadsheet, everybody can fill in what the needs are, everybody can put down the assets, and it's my job as a state coordinator just to help deploy those crews and send them where they need to go. Most of the cities are able to get FEMA reimbursement if it's you know catastrophic to that nature. So again, a lot of paperwork of tracking who did what work, how much did it cost, so that we can seek reimbursement uh, back for our town, for our guys being away all that time or whatever. And uh, you know, if you know line workers, they love that kind of thing. So it's it's a good day for them to go out in the storm. They love it. So you came right after Hugo. What is the worst storm or hurricane you've been a part of since you've been here, and how did that all go down? You know, I think we learned a lot from Hugo. Like I said, I, I was a newbie at the at the time. So I, t- I took a lot of notes of, hey, what's working well, what's not working well. Again, putting generators at all the main city facilities was a big help. Uh, making sure that we had fuel storage in the ground. And even today, if it looks like there's going to be a major problem, we'll get a tanker truck and just set it out just to have in case other trucks can't get it to us. Um, believe it or not, some of the, uh, the gas buddy systems now, uh, the federal government has contracted with them to let us know what gas stations have fuel if we're traveling, which ones don't. And we get a priority if we're assisting in a natural disaster so that we know if we pull off on this exit, there's going to be a highway patrol or somebody there letting our trucks get fuel at a particular station that for the general public, they may not. But, you know, they're, they're going to try to get us in. We also coordinate um, with other states now, too, for transportation permits. You know, trucks, when they're traveling across the, the interstate, a lot of our drivers really have licenses made just CDL for in-state. In so they give us waivers for our, our crews to travel outside the state, and they also give us exemptions so that if somebody has an accident or something else, we're still protected by the same rights we would have if we were still in South Carolina. So we've learned a lot of things that we didn't have back in the beginning that now um, we put things in place that before somebody leaves, we already have that taken care of. And you know, some of the storms that we've had lately that have been the worst have not really impacted Rock Hill, but maybe others. We sent mm-hmm. crews up to Long Island back in an mm-hmm. ice storm, and that was really interesting because they insisted that we become part of the uh, union there. And I said, you don't understand. We're, we're not going to do that. We, we have an agreement between the 21 cities. If you want our mutual aid, here's our form that you have to sign. It's a two-page form. I'm not signing a 35-page form becoming part of the union. So uh, that was really interesting for our guys. I said, they, those guys are making $60 an hour. I said, yeah, but they're also charging $30 an hour back for union costs. So read the numbers. I said, we're still going by our pay. We're not doing that. And just having them understand that because here our crews do everything. And they call me and said, we can't believe it. Their contract says they only do two poles a day. They got a major disaster. They, got, they set their two poles and they're done for the rest of the day. They get paid, but they don't do anything. Or they would have crews. One, one crew comes in and sets a pole. One crew frames a pole. Another crew comes and pulls the wire. They go, what are they doing? It's taking all day. Our crew sets it. We're out of there in two hours. I mean, it's done. When we leave, you're done. So I think it's been eye-opening just to see how some of the other parts do things. And I know there are a lot of people, big union and all, and I'm not trying to argue union versus non-union. But I'm just saying the way we do it here in the South is a lot different. And, uh, you know, negotiating with others about what that might look like major disasters i'm like you know you guys are the ones that need the help <laughs> so mm-hmm. let me know when you decide you want us to come help and, and so far that's always worked and andrew was probably one of the biggest ones we went down to florida and helped out a lot with the traffic signals uh, we sent a lot of different crews down um 
we, we've had floodwaters in North Carolina where we've helped with. But since you go, we've not had anything really that major. We've had some ice storms that go two or three days. We've had some hurricanes that cause outages for two or three days. We, Hugo was about a 19-day outage for us. Wow. And certainly getting the water and sewer plants back up, making sure the hospital had what they needed. Um, we're a lot better able to do those sort of things today than we were then. And, you know, it's funny. People would call in and say, hey, um, you know, I'm so tired of not having hot water. Uh, well, you told me earlier you were a gas customer. You probably have a gas water heater. Hmm. Oh, shoot, I could have had hot water. I mean, yeah, <laughs> dude, you know, we've got running water now. And uh, so you hear a lot of those things. People, again, people just aren't prepared. They don't know what they have and uh, don't think through it. So I would certainly understand what, what, what you do have. What are the most common questions that you get, whether it's from the public or anyone um, about severe weather or hurricane preparedness? Well, the first thing is everybody wants to know, am I on a priority circuit? How do I get mine on first? So, you know, we have to go through <laughs> course, that. right. We really don't have priority circuits, but I will tell you that we're going to do everything we can to keep the hospital up and our water and wastewater plant. If those go down, we've lost a lot. So we're going to do whatever we can to get those three facilities up, make sure that we have uh, life-sustaining abilities. After that, it's really just a matter of, you know, getting the rest of it up. We're going to try to get the the biggest bang for the buck. So if we can pick up 5,000 customers by working over here as opposed to, yeah, there's a tree on your house and it's toward your line down. But you're the only one impacted by it. You're probably going to be one of the last ones. And I hate to say that, but, you know, we're going to get the big lines up first. We're going to get the majority of the customers on. And then for those that we have to get to, that's going to take days just to get one house back up. It's just going to take a while. Um, one of the things we really try to encourage people to do is be, be safe. A lot of folks have generators now. They're not mm-hmm. really connected properly. So we really try to tell folks, hey, if you're going to use a generator, make sure you're completely disconnected from the, the network, the grid. Um, what are, What's more dangerous to our line workers as, as well as the law enforcement and all if they see a power line out on the road and they assume it's dead because we have to circuit off, but a homeowner next door just cranked up his generator and it backfeeds on our system, that wire's hot again. Mm. So, you know, we can't control that. And that's something that we really ask folks, if you're going to run a generator, make sure you disconnect your main breaker from the grid, as people call it, from the distribution system. Because uh, you get backfeed, that's what is really dangerous to other people because we may declare it an outage. But if somebody that lives next door to you is running a generator, backfeeding the system, you know, you, you, we, we can't control that so it's not always safe when we think it's safe um, so we have to make sure our guys ground the wires out and all that sort of thing but uh, it, it's just an education again that's where getting out the word early one stock up your supplies be prepared to stay indoors for up to a week make sure you have plenty of drinking water plenty of food um, don't try to use a grill inside your house uh, those types of things or don't use a kerosene heater uh, that's not appropriately ventilated because we have a lot of asphyxiation calls during those times or people catch on fire where they have candles burning and don't realize the curtains are right next door. They heat up, catch on fire. So people just don't realize sometimes that when you do things you're not used to doing every single day, you still need to be safe. And I think we all fall short of maybe thinking through those things. So I would encourage everybody today, while it's good weather, go and start making your plans for winter weather. And what would you do in case? Uh, if you have to escape out of the house, just like a fire, do you have a ladder that you can get off the upstairs uh, in, a, in an emergency? And do your kids know that if they're not supposed to get out of bed, there are exceptions to that. If the house is on fire or something, you know, a tornado's coming, you know, and not just hard fast rules there are certain rules that you're made to bend a little bit when it comes time to being safe and uh, i think that's just good for all of us to be prepared in those areas now you you do a lot of work reacting or preparing to react to storms but there's also a lot of work that goes into making sure the area is prepared for a severe storm you know to make sure the water drains correctly how have you seen that improve over the past 10 20 years well we've done i guess several things that have really helped in that area one on the sewer side we spent millions of dollars trying to take care of 
leaks that get into the sewer system. Uh, and people don't realize that, but if there's a pipe that's busted, when it rains, that rainwater goes into the pipes, fills up capacity. Next thing you know, the plant's you know, dealing, treating a lot of rainwater. That's expensive, and then we have to expand the plant. So instead of expanding the plant, we spent literally millions trying to fix broken pipes, roots that get into the line, really keeping uh, all of our sewer uh, efficient. And that means we need all the restaurant owners not to put grease down it either, because when it stops up and blocks it up, then that creates problems. So we really have tried to look at capacity of sewer. So that's something that we don't have to think about on a day-to-day basis, uh, especially with rainwater coming in. Similarly, we've also spent a lot of money on stormwater, trying to make sure that it's moving effectively and efficiently so that we don't have a lot of localized flooding. There's still areas of town that we know do tend to flood, and uh, they're prone for that. And unfortunately, a lot of the older neighborhoods in town were built in very flat areas and didn't have the necessary infrastructure to start with. So when you take a very flat area that doesn't have a storm drain system, it's going to flood, and there's just not a lot we can do about it. I can't make water run downhill when there's no downhill. <laughs> uh, and, and when you see that, it's just it's, it's very difficult. So then you almost have to put in very, very deep ditches or very deep pipes to try to move the water uh, to some other location. So we've done a lot of that. We've tried to pick some of the worst neighborhoods, worst street, uh, Dave Law being one. It's a state road, but I can tell you out in front of that McDonald's, you know, if we get a really bad storm, it's going to flood. There's just not enough infrastructure there to take it away. There's an interstate to block some of it. So it's just uh, some areas that are going to cost millions and millions and millions to fix. So all we can do right now is just really identify it, watch for it, and, and try to mitigate the areas that we can address uh, as opposed to spending all 20 million in one location. Because um, we try to spread that around the city and take care of us Again, back to the many people. How many people were we impacted by that? Uh, so we're really trying to get the biggest uh, bang for the buck on that. But the other thing is just making sure, you know, people are aware it's coming. It's going to take time. Uh, I know we're, we live in the society now where everybody wants it now, and, you know, we can't get fast enough. You know, we've, we've gone to emails weren't fast enough, texting now. Now, I don't know what the next step is after texting, mental telepathy. You just got to think the thought somebody else <laughs> knows what you're thinking. You've seen a lot of technology and changes. That's right. Years. But I mean, that's just kind of where we are. You just can't do anything fast enough. And there's no downtime. I mean, I work 24-7. Phone calls come in all day long. And, you know, mm. it just, it's just, it, you never get a break anymore. And it's just one thing after the other. But yeah, we try to keep the crews prepared, keep the trucks ready to roll, making sure that when these events happen, we have plenty of stock of sand and salt water to put on the roads and Really, partnerships with the DOT, and I, again, I can't say enough about the local media making sure they're in the loop of what's going on and telling people about the dangers uh, when these things happen. And I know it's easy. We all want to go see what just happened. Uh, there's nothing like, hey, there's an emergency going on. What's going on? But really, just staying in your house and not getting involved in that really helps it go a lot faster if uh, we don't have to worry about, you know, somebody just got their car stuck in front of us now because of a tree that we were going to fix anyway. And now we got to get the car out of the way before we can get to the tree to get the mm-hmm. power back on. So a lot of times we just don't realize, you know, driving through water is going to make your car go off the cliff uh, or off the wor- the road and you know we're, we're getting a lot more rain uh causing problems than we used to and i've heard a lot of things lately this week even about climate change and you know that's going to happen in the future maybe that is maybe we're on a thousand year cycle i don't know but we are certainly seeing a lot more flooding than we have in the past so that's that's a fact and things that used to not cause as much damage now you look around tennessee and some of the other countries uh the mudslides and the flooding it's just it's definitely in a more severe state than it was 30 years ago you talked about the millions of dollars that the city has put into different projects. Are there any projects um, on the horizon that would be of interest to the public to hear about? You know, we, we always have a list of projects. Uh, if you go to our stormwater site, you can see we, we have about 50 years worth of projects on the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was about 100 years of projects, and our council did a, a moderate increase a couple years ago just so we could cut that down. So we went from like a buck fifty per lot to $3 per lot. And, of course, sadly, I know everybody that has a property that says they pay the $3, they want to know why they're still flooding on their street. I get it. Uh, but we take, it takes all that money to make the roads going to the hospital 
better or the roads going out to where the people get their food you know better to the grocery stores so we have to start with some of the worst cases first and we are trying now to identify a portion of that to go back to the neighborhoods but again we're 50 years behind on that i mean we've only been in the stormwater business for the last 18 years now people have been building you know ditches and pipes and all that for a long time but the city really didn't have a management program to manage that uh, and years ago people were allowed if you don't like the way it is you know you can move that creek you can put a pipe in you can build a house over top of it well 100 years later now i'm dealing with that saying who thought it was a good idea to build a house over a pipe you know <laughs> and now the house settles and you wonder was it the pipe or was it something else and you know it just brings in a lot of other issues but uh, we do have a lot of those key projects i would tell folks you know if you have concerns about it uh, check with our stormwater advisory committee we have a group of citizens that decide what's the next project we're going to do that's a big project. Like I said, little ones that you know we can tend to do in-house, but if it's over $10,000, it goes to the advisory committee mm. who makes a recommendation to council and says, hey, here's where we're working next. A couple of the key projects right now we have are College Downs. That's a couple million dollar project. Um, we have one off Cabindale. Can't remember the name of the subdivision, but major problems over in that area they're working uh, currently. So uh, those are the two, two big ones going on uh, that I can think of off the top of my head. But we've certainly done, uh, we borrowed $8 million a couple of years ago and did four major projects, a stream restoration, and tried to resolve some of those issues. So there's a lot of those still going on. It just takes a lot of $3 per lot <laughs> to get to the millions to be able to do some of these projects. And um, people just don't realize how expensive it is really to try to mitigate that. And, and, and water is one of those things that's very, very difficult to control. You just really can't do it. When you wear your emergency management hat, what is something you do that people would be surprised to hear that you do? You know, I think we, we do a very good job of coordinating with York County Emergency Preparedness. And I think there have been plans made. So when the governor's office calls and says, what do you need? They don't need 12 municipalities in this area to call in and say, here's what I need. So, you know, we, we all try to funnel that back to the county and the county funnels it back up. But you want to make sure you're getting the right resources. So I, I think, you know, one of the surprising things, because of my relationship with the county and the emergency management department, and even the governor's office, uh, we get a lot of crazy calls. So, uh, you know, we had a mosquito. When somebody gets bit by a mosquito that turns out to be um, a, a particular type of disease that, that comes from like that. West, like a West Nile. A West or Nile or some of those type things. Um, I get dragged into that because a lot of times it's in the city. So then mm -hmm. we have to bring out the, um, the trucks that go spray for mosquitoes or whatever. And coordinating that just to try to say, hey, don't panic. But, you know, we did have one person that had West Nile. And everybody wants to go nuts saying, you know, well, who is it? Well, we can't tell you who. We can't tell you where. But we are working in this area to, to try to um, remediate it. The biggest thing you can do is just not have standing water. And then, you know, if there's no standing water. There's no mosquitoes hanging out. they got to have the water source to, uh, to, ha to lay their eggs and all that sort of thing. But, again, that gets back to education. But that's kind of a tricky thing that, you know, I'm so used to doing snowstorms and ice storms and all that. When they call me and say, hey, you got a case of West Nile or – you know, Dungey V are over here because somebody got by a particular mosquito. Then I'm like, okay, now what do we do? Uh, and just trying to coordinate those wow. kind of things uh, because it happened in the city. And again, you know, it's like you, you kind of get coined to, hey, here you are. You got to do it all now. But uh, it's been mm -hmm. it's fun, but it's interesting, and we've learned a lot. Certainly with Corona and doing the vaccinations and all that sort of stuff, learned a lot uh, with COVID, and that's been uh, that's been interesting too. So you've been here for 33 years. Um, you wear many different hats. Things are crazy. I'm sure no two days are the same for you, um, given how nuts things are. But you earlier you mentioned that you've been on phone calls with the president and or his cabinet and things like that. So what would you say is like one of the most rewarding things? I know there's a lot of tiresome things about this, whether it's severe weather or it West Nile. It has to balance or, out. <laughs> has to. So what's the most rewarding part of your job? You know, I think just knowing that you're helping people. Uh, people tend to look for government when they can't solve it themselves. And when they have a problem that's either too expensive, too big, or maybe they just don't know. 
uh, I think knowing that did even the smallest request of hey you know can you weed eat my ditch no but here's what you can do or maybe a mm-hmm. safe product you can't put in the water to, to eradicate some of the weeds just being able to help folks navigate that they may not be able to do. I mean, and honestly, most governments are very bureaucratic. I think Rock Hill is very decentralized. We have a very open council, a very forward-thinking council. All of our staff are, are very uh, eager to help. And really, honestly, that's why, I, why I'm here. Could have made a lot more money going somewhere else a long time ago. But I think just being here, knowing that you're part of a community that really cares. Uh, I don't know of an organization that meets with its employees as much as Rock Hill does or works on, you know, benefits or issues uh, as much as Rock Hill does. I mean, I hear I go a lot of places. I hear a lot of things. I give a lot of talks all over the country. And I, I think just to have a community that can step up and do things, uh, again, like having the 17, 1800 volunteers that started out early on with giving vaccinations uh, at the clinic and eventually ended up being over 3,000 different people that, that participated in that. That's rewarding. I mean, just to know, hey, I was a part of that, you know. Uh, it's not one person. It, it is a village, and it takes everybody. And But to know that you've got enough support when things do happen that you can say, hey, I need you guys to help me out with this. You know, it's going to take a couple of days to get to you. So calm down. Let us know your power's out. But here's the situation. We've got to deal with this first before we can get to you. If I, the main line's not up, it doesn't mean you get to get at your house. So, yeah, you're not going to see me at your house because, you know, 12 roads up is where the problem is. So, you know, you keep calling in saying, I don't see anybody in front of my house. It's not helping the situation. We're where you're out. But just having the patience to know that we're, we're working upstream of you that's going to help you eventually. And whether that's a water problem, a stormwater problem, uh, you know, it, it's rewarding to know you're a part of that. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, when you sell it enough and people believe it and buy it, they go, okay, he's got a proven record. He said it last time it worked. I don't see it this time, but I'm going to believe him, and, you know, let's hope it happens. And it does. And I think that's why council, I have enjoyed We've got a great council. If I say, hey, this is what I want to buy, and here's why it's going to help, they're like, hey, we have no idea what you're talking about, but go for it, because <laughs> so far your track record's been pretty good. And I think that's, that's rewarding to me, to know that there's faith in you, that people believe you can make it happen, and when you can make it happen, they acknowledge that and try to give you the next challenge, and uh, that that that's a good good thing. Another couple of days at the vaccination vaccination clinic I was at, you wouldn't think hearing vaccination clinic you'd leave with like such a rewarding uh, you know charisma about you, but I mean I left with a smile every day. People were so grateful. It was they really awesome. are. Uh, you know, people come in there desperate, wanting their lives back. And you know, we've heard how bad it is with COVID, people dying. Uh, it's you know. I know a lot of people have opinions about that, too. Vaccine, no vaccine, what's going on. The fact of it is people are dying in the hospital every single day. And now it's with this Delta variant, it's really hitting a lot of the younger people, too. So people that seem to have some sort of good immunity to it, it's, it's now a- attacking them in a dramatic way. So first of all, I would encourage everybody to get the vaccine. But to see people that have been waiting on hope, waiting on something to happen, to be able to give them that shot. And literally, I'm, I'm an EMT, so I was giving shots. Mm-hmm. So to literally be able to give a shot and people tear up going, you know, I feel like I can go out now. You know, I really still wearing a mask, still taking precautions, but I really feel like I'm getting part of my life back where um, you've given me something, some hope, as opposed to staying in my house, just hearing about a, 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 an alternate method that might help you. Uh, actually having something in hand that you can give them. I, I, you can't imagine seeing a 75, 85 year old lady crying. Since mm-hmm. the first time she's been out of her house in three months, literally. Somebody's dropped off her groceries. And she's like, you know, this is the first time I've literally been out of our house. And I can't wait to get my second shot so I can at least get my own groceries uh, wow. in a safe manner. And that's, that's huge that's huge i mean there's no way you can leave that building and not go wow i've done something good today you know mm-hmm. you just exhausted as we were and it's trying to pull that up in seven days that the mayor told me i had and ended up being five i mean just um you know it, it was just a great thing and seeing the community get involved going wow this is super. it's not perfect we change something every day that we didn't like and that made it better but just to be a part of that community um that's rewarding that's been great is there anything that we're missing or anything that you'd like to add 
no, I appreciate you guys doing this. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. But yeah, no, thank you. You're a busy man, and all this information is super helpful. And I know the public will appreciate that as well. Um, tuning into CityCast, so thank you so much. Great, thank y'all. Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill CityCast. Episodes are available each week to stream on SoundCloud, Google, and Apple Podcasts. To keep up with City of Rock Hill information, follow us on social media.